0: Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 12. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh. All the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let it see I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Can you believe we made it? Hasn't this been a wonderful book to linger in front Oh my goodness, I was, I think the, the fact that it's, we're ending, it hit me this morning as I was preparing, and I, I just thought, Lord, I'm not sure I'm ready to go. <laughs> How grateful I am that no matter which book of scripture we study, we encounter the, the grace and goodness of the same divine author. We can expect that. Over the, the last hundred years or so, um, our culture has experienced a, Profound change in the way information is communicated. Maybe you've noticed this. Um, some of us are too young to have the before in our mind, but, but newspapers have, have nearly completely given way to television. Printed books and magazines have given way to YouTube and TikTok. Reading information has been replaced by watching information. And, and verbal communication has given way to visual communication, right? not hard to see. Uh, the devices many of you hold in your hands are affirming the truth of what I just told you. That cultural shift creates a really big challenge. For Christians. And no, your parents did not pay me to say this. (laughs) Okay? It's a big challenge for Christians because, friends, our faith is word centered. Our, Our Creator and Redeemer has not given us a video series, He's given us a book. Can visual media be a tremendous blessing, both for for society at large and and for the advance of the kingdom of God? Absolutely. But we must remember in an age of of endless scrolling that, that we are not, Kingsway, a people of the video screen. We're a people of the book. We're not a video kind of people or a movie kind of people. We are a book kind of people, and that not by virtue of our personal preferences, but by virtue of the infinite wisdom of God. We're a people of the book. And when you teach someone how to read this book, how to read scripture, that means you are equipping them to see God. Pastor, don't you mean you are equipping them to know God? Don't don't books help us to know things, but videos allow us to see things? Well, that's true in part. (laughs) But consider this, friend. The great aim of this book The great aim of scripture is not to fill your head with a bunch of spiritual facts. God breathed out a book that through reading and meditating on his word, you might see God and behold God and be captivated by God in all his glory and all his beauty. That is the point of this book. And from beginning to end, that means the Bible is a book. Not just Deuteronomy, the whole Bible. It's a book designed to help you to see. It's a help in seeing kind of book. Psalm 19, verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, what? Enlightening the eye. God wants to have a word with you about your eyes this morning. Psalm 119 verse 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. Something we see. What what kind of light does the unfolding of God's word, the reading and meditating and preaching of God's word, what kind of light does it help us to see? 2 Corinthians 4.6 For the God who said in creation, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what the word of God helps you to see. The glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Because that's what the Christian life is all about. It's a fight to see. It's a fight to see. And from... Beginning to end, the the Lord has been so kind. We've been in this book 16 months now. We started back in 2022 to help us see. what, what, What have we seen over the last 33 chapters? What have you seen over the last 33 chapters as we have studied this book? I think more than anything else, what we've seen is that our triune God is full of grace. Have you seen that, friend? Our triune God is full of grace. You know, the Old Testament law, here's what that means. It's not a bunch of random rules. Maybe you thought that. It's not a bunch of random rules. It's a, it's a covenant document capturing God's heart for relationship with His people and what it looks like for us to enjoy relationship with our God. Not one verse of Deuteronomy, hope you've seen this, is legalistic. Not one verse. Not one part of a verse. Okay, Not once has the Lord told Israel to earn his love or his favor through obedience to God's law. He graciously initiates. He graciously redeems. He he rescues his people from his enemies and then says, now trust and obey me for your good and my glory. That's what we've seen. Our triune God is full of grace. Here's Deuteronomy in a sentence. It's all about God's loving authority over his people in the context of a gracious covenant relationship with his people. He's a gracious God. We're ruled by a gracious God, hence the title of this entire series. I love how Daniel Bloch summarizes all we have seen of this gracious God. He writes, "The gospel, according to Moses, has been rich in grace. The gift of salvation, free and undeserved. The gift of covenant, personal and intimate. The gift of revelation, profound and unparalleled. The gift of providence, patient and loving, and the gift of a home over the Jordan about to be delivered into their hands. That's what we've seen. That's amazing. Friend, what you choose to see this week, What you choose to to set before the eye of your mind, the eye of your heart, is the most important choice you will make this week. Think about that. Deuteronomy has served us so well because it keeps directing our gaze, our sight, to our exceedingly gracious God. And, And as... As the book ends and and the human author, Moses, as we just read, fades from view. This is what the divine author keeps right on telling us to do. Listen carefully. Amid the sorrow of sin, fix your eyes on the glory of heaven and the Savior who gets us home. Amid all the sorrow of sin all the trouble of sin, without within, what must we do? What do do we need to see? We need to fix our eyes on the glory of heaven and the Savior who brings us home. There are three things in that that we need to see, and that will be the structure of this sermon. Here's the first thing we need to see. Point one, see the hand of God in the sorrow of sin. See the hand of God. What do we need to see? See, the hand of God, God's hand, in the sorrow of sin. Look at verse 1, chapter 34. There is an extraordinary expression of humility here on Moses' part that you won't get without a little bit of background from a previous chapter. Okay? Deuteronomy 32, 49. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, and die on the mountain which you go up because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. God said, speak to the rock. Moses did strike to the rock. Not once, twice. Didn't uphold the Lord as holy. You can't enter the land, Moses. You'll see it. You're not allowed to go in. Go up on the mountain and die. Question. Is Moses' relationship with God built on grace? What do you think? Yes. You're right. It is. Yes. So why then does he still experience consequences for sin in his life? Does that strike you as strange? I mean, it, it, it's like, I thought either it's grace or it's like the hammer. <laughs> and go up and die feels like the hammer. So it can't be grace. Friend, listen to me. Consequences for our sin are not the opposite of grace. They are an expression of God's grace. Okay? Proverbs 3 verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. The consequences you experience for your sin. Or be weary of his reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son, in whom he delights. Consequences for sin are not the opposite of grace, they are a precious expression of God's grace. Why? Because when we experience the consequences of sin, whether it's a broken relationship or a lost privilege or cell phone, or car keys, or or maybe a financial penalty, or or maybe even time in jail. That's an expression of the Lord's gracious discipline in your life, friend. He he is lovingly getting your attention. Why? It doesn't feel loving. How can it be loving? (laughs) Well, without preaching a sermon on the fact that what's true is not based on our feelings, keep this in mind, okay? God loves you too much to let you continue marching down your present path, thinking it's a path that leads to life, when in reality, it's a path that leads to death. If you knew that and saw someone else walking down that path, blindfolded, there's a cliff. One, two. Well, you know, you do you. I, I, I love you too much to stop you from going off the cliff. Really? <laughs> he disciplines those he loves. Learning to part ways with sin always hurts. It's certainly true in Moses' life. I mean, Think about this, okay? What's going on here at the very beginning? He goes up on Mount Nebo to die. He he spent the last 40 years of his life guiding Israel toward this promised land. Place God said, hey, go there. It's my place. It's an amazing place. For, For Moses to die east of the Jordan after spending 40 years working to get God's people and himself along with them to that place, that must have been incredibly painful. I mean, imagine God told you, my friend, because of your sin, I want you to go up on this mountain and die. What would you do What would you say back how How would you respond I, I will tell you quite frankly what I would be tempted to say and do, okay? I would be sorely tempted to book a one-way ticket to a place called Not Nineveh and spend some time enjoying a cocktail with my friend Jonah the prophet. Go up on Mount Nebo and die. I am not going anywhere near Mount Nebo, now that I've heard that. (laughs) And I like hiking. But, but, But going up on Mount Nebo is exactly what Moses did. Why? Because he knew the Lord disciplines those he loves. Because that's what he spent his life preaching to Israel. And because in that moment, the man whom Scripture tells us was meeker than all the other men on earth humbly embraced the Lord's discipline in his life. even to the point of death. Friend, is that how you respond? (laughs) When you experience what I will call life-altering consequences of sin in your life? Is Is that your response? Or do you fight? Do you despise the Lord for doing that? daring to do that? Or or do you answer the the human authorities he has established that are bringing some of those consequences with with a weary sigh of self-pity? Or do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, knowing, knowing that that God's good and sovereign plan for your life, even in the consequences of your sin, will not fail to come to pass? Look at verse 5. That's not make-believe. So the, the servant, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. What? According to the word of the Lord. Did you notice that? Did, question, did Moses' sin shorten the length of his days on this earth? Yes. It's patently clear. But does that mean from the moment he struck the rock that the consequences of sin began calling all the shots in Moses' life? No. No, what, what, is, what does Scripture say? The word of the Lord is the reason he died. Even in his sin, the word of the Lord remained sovereign. God's, God's purposes for Moses' life continue to prevail. But, but I can hear the objection because it comes up in my own head, right? Why should I be hopeful, Matthew, when I have made such a royal hash of things? And there's a reason why you and not me are in the pulpit right now. Because God wouldn't want a person like me in the pulpit. Friend, you can be hopeful even when you've made a royal hash of things. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Do you feel the abounding character of sin and the consequences of sin in your life? Well, to the degree you feel that, know this. To that very degree, grace abounds all the more. That's the promise of God to you, Christian. Look look at the the very beginning of verse 5 again. Who died... Because the consequences of their sin on Mount Nebo. Who, who died there? What scripture say? Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. Did you catch that? Do you know 40 times in the Old Testament, he's called the servant of the Lord. What, what is that? Shout. What, what does that say? Well, well, think of it this way we tend to think there are two categories of Christians, okay? Maybe you've gone here, all right? There are the spotless servants of the Lord who never make the big mistakes and are therefore able to do mighty, amazing things in the kingdom of God. And then there are the wash-ups who've sinned in all kinds of ways and are of no use in the kingdom of God. Friend, that's, is a lie. That's not true. How do you know that? Not just because pastor says so. You know that because the entire book of Deuteronomy ends with what? Moses experiencing the bitter, sorrowful, painful consequences of his sin. And yet, he's still called a servant of the Lord. Do you have a category for that? Is the way you view and treat other people in your life, especially leaders, do you have a category for that? Why why could Moses be right in the midst of experiencing the sorrow of his sin and yet Deuteronomy still identify him, God still identify him as a servant of the Lord? It's it's simply because his identity, no less than your own Christian, his identity, who he is, it's grounded in grace. It's built on grace. It's established in grace. It's saturated with grace. No less than your own Christian. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't. And such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Implication, that is not who you are any longer. Why? Because if anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. You have a new identity. Christian, the consequences of sin that are ever so real are never your identity in the kingdom of God. And that is why the church of all places on earth should not be like the world. What's the world do? We adore people, we worship people, and then the moment we find a substantial blemish in them, we crucify them. We vilify them. Oh, I just can't. You might as well... Die and get out of here. What a, what a horrible person you are. Friend, that's the utter opposite of the gospel. Moses' identity, your identity, Christian, it's built on grace. And if you want proof of this, <laughs> even in the very moment he's Experiencing the consequences of their sin at its most painful. The Lord doesn't stop caring for him. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, look at verse 6. I think it's verse 6. Yes. <laughs> Who buries Moses? The Lord does. What do we tend to think? Okay, well, maybe because of the gospel, even though I'm over here in this lane experiencing the consequences of sin, because of Jesus, I can know that somehow when I die, you know, I won't go to hell. Praise the Lord, his mercy on that future day, but not right now, is more, you know? It's like, no, no, friend. Even as he's experiencing the consequences of sin, the Lord draws near to Moses. To care for him. To bury him. What dignity. What what tenderness. Unless the Lord returns first, here's the truth. We too will all die as a result of Adam's sin. Right? Our inherited guilt and corruption. But, But the next time you're tempted to assume... That because of the sorrow of sin, God is not in control, or you are disqualified from serving Him, or He's no longer interested in being near to you to care for you, you need to see Moses. You need to remember Moses. And remember what? What do you need to see? See the hand of God in the sorrow of sin. That's the first thing we need to see. Oh, that is good. Here's the second, and it just keeps getting better. See the glory of heaven through the eye of faith. See the glory of heaven through the eye of faith. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the divine word of judgment, God's word of judgment, that limits the measure of our days on earth because of our guilt and sin in Adam is the same divine word that holds forth a promise Of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Look at verse 2. Moses obeys the Lord, right? He embraces the consequences of sin humbly, obediently. He's literally walking to his death on Nebo. But when he arrives, what's the Lord do? What's he do first? And the Lord showed him all the land. From Dan in the north to, to the Negev in the south, from, from Jericho in the Jordan Valley in the east, all the way to the Mediterranean in the west. He, he gives Moses a, a visual 360 tour of the place he had prepared for his people. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Moses, this Is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. Do you think seeing that brought Moses joy? Yeah, incredible joy. This is the land. But it was a joy. Alongside sorrow, wasn't it? I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. East of Eden, being involved in God's redemptive work on this earth, always means joy and sorrow. Joy and sorrow. Always sorrowful, always rejoicing. There, there, there's a joy in beholding the goodness and faithfulness of God as we introduce people to Jesus and, and help them learn to follow him. But there's also a deep sorrow as we, we come face to face with the consequences of sin, right? In our life and people around us in the world. And, and Moses knew both of those things all too well. There's a real sense, in other words, friend, that our entire lives are spent on Mount Nebo. We're not home yet, brothers and sisters. We're not home yet. And, And as the Lord graciously let Moses see Israel's home in Canaan, afar, with his his physical eyes, so too we see our eternal home in heaven with the eye of faith. Listen to what Hebrews says of Moses and and the other saints in the Old Testament. Chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them. And greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Brothers and sisters, do you long to be home? Are you ready to be home? Do, Do you... Do you long for a better country than all this? Do you know America is not your home? And I'm not being unpatriotic when I say that. That's biblical. And frankly, if if this place feels like your home, something is terribly wrong because you were made for more than this and you don't have to be a christian to sense that in your soul you were made for more than this you were made for him you were made to know the lord You were made to be with the Lord. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also says the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this place, trouble multiplies, doesn't it? Trouble just multiplies. But in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus returns to judge the world and everything in it, and he makes all things new, there will be no more trouble. There will be no more sin. Your, your children won't die from cancer. Your best friends won't die betray you. You won't keep getting decked by depression. You won't speak any more words that you immediately regret. You'll be with the Lord. The glory of heaven, Christian, is not a figment of the imagination of man. It's not a coping device that the weak invented to survive the trouble of this life It is the eternal plan and promise of God for the people of God. And though scripture doesn't answer all the questions we have about what life in heaven is going to be like, our God is not silent when it comes to heaven. And and he's led us through the gift of his word. I need a tissue. This is not going to go well. The recording will sound abysmal. My apologies, Ben. <laughs> you crafty man. <laughs> he, through the gift of his word, he's, he's given us what he gave Moses, you know? He, he, he takes our, our eyes and he says, Follow, follow my arm, son. Follow my arm, daughter. Do you see that? That's a glimpse. Of what heaven's going to be like. Listen. Listen and see. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes so we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, as we see, as we fix our eyes. Not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is a paradox, Right? Pastor, now I know you've gone out of your mind. You're telling me to see something that God himself says is unseen. (laughs) You were insane. (laughs) Well, sometimes it feels like that. And you probably do too. But he's talking about a real seeing. It's just not a this eye kind of seeing. It's It's an eye of faith. Seeing. It's an eye of your heart. Seeing. It's a Lord Jesus, take your word and make it my glasses kind of seeing. Do you see the hope of heaven, my friend? I'm not talking about do you believe it's there? Okay? Do you see it? Do you think about it? Do you dwell on it? Do you you meditate on that? Through the eye of faith, or or are you just so preoccupied with the troubles of this life and and what could happen next and what you're going to do if that happens and what your contingency plan if that doesn't happen and and what are they going to do? And okay, I I hope we're going to make it here. I mean, is that so preoccupied you that, that the place God has prepared for you, Rarely crosses your mind. Only those who are heavenly minded are any earthly good, to put it bluntly. (laughs) So, So don't wait until you're on death's door, so to speak, to gaze homeward, Christian. Look today. Look, look tomorrow. Look, look when you're young. Look when you're old. Look when you feel like your, everything in your life is going great. Look when you feel like nothing in your life is going well. A Christian who rarely contemplates the glory to come is a Christian who has rejected the very soil in which genuine faith thrives. Don't try that. Because God has something better. See. See the glory of heaven through the eye of faith. Lastly, see the Savior who is better than the best of men. See the hand of God in the sorrow of sin. See the glory of heaven through the eye of faith. See the Savior who is better than the best of men and is getting us home. Israel was right. Look at verse 8. They were right, which sometimes is a funny thing to say in Deuteronomy, but they were right. To weep when Moses died. Uh, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. If you live long enough, friend, you, you too will experience the sorrow of losing many whom you love through the darkness of the grave. But that didn't stop God from caring for Moses when he died. You fast forward to, to Luke 9. Who's standing on the Mount of Transfiguration? Caleb mentioned this last week. Who's standing on that mount with the the Lord Jesus Christ? It's Moses, right? He got home to heaven. God didn't stop caring for Moses. And he certainly didn't stop caring for his people Israel when Moses left the scene. Because he raised up another leader for them, a man named Joshua. What what set Joshua apart? Look at verse 9. What set Joshua apart? He was Moses' best buddy. No. No. He was full of the spirit of wisdom. Full of the spirit of wisdom. That's why Israel obeyed him. Notice. So they obeyed Moses. That's the reason. It wasn't because, you know, they they just liked Moses or they liked Joshua or they, you know, just appreciated Joshua's personality. That's why we're going to obey him. No. It was because they recognized the spirit of God was at work in him and through him. Their view of leadership, human leadership, was God-centered, not man-centered. Think about this. Because because we need to have the same attitude towards spiritual leaders God establishes in our lives today. Same attitude. We we live in an incredibly anti-authoritarian age. Which, side note, this is free, is actually not anti-authority. It's just anti-any authority other than me. Think about that. But Deuteronomy 34.9 calls us down a better path. What's that path And the way it speaks of Joshua? And Why Israel followed him? It's a path called this. It looks like this. To the degree the spiritual leaders God has placed in your life are urging you to do what? As the Lord had commanded Moses urging you to order your life in keeping with God's priorities, God's purposes, what should we do? We should humbly and cheerfully follow them because we trust the Lord who is at work in them and through them. That's the point. And let's be honest. Lord, help us remember this. In every season of life, all of our sorrows, friend, you don't need a human leader the most you don't. But Moses, look at verse 10. He was an incredible prophet. He, he knew the Lord face to face. No kidding. He performed all kinds of what? Miraculous signs and wonders. When, when he led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, think the 10 plagues. He, he did all kinds of mighty acts of power and great deeds of terror. Think parting the waters of the Red Sea. As far as human spiritual leaders are concerned, in this life and in scripture, it doesn't really get much better than Moses. But Moses himself knew that Israel needed something more. He did. Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And friend, that is exactly what happened. Centuries later, when the the word of God Moses imparted, the self-revelation of God that Moses revealed, that Moses communicated, that word, God's word, became the word made flesh. Hebrews 3 verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. When the editor of Deuteronomy wrote the final verses of this book, God's people were still waiting for a prophet like Moses. Friends, because of Jesus, you can know that wait is completely over. Completely over. Did Moses enjoy an intimate relationship with God? Jesus knows him far better. John 10, verse 15, the father knows me and I know the father. Why? John 10, 30, because I and the father are one. Did Moses triumph over Pharaoh and all his host? The mighty works and wonders and signs Jesus performed, Acts 2, are far better. He triumphed over sin and Satan and death. Did, did Moses exalt God's power and authority in the sight of the people? Yes, what Jesus did, far better. Philippians 2.8 And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Only unlike Moses on Mount Nebo, he wasn't dying for his own sin. He was dying for yours. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, we are so prone as human beings to place our hope and our trust and our confidence in what other people around us are doing or not doing. Don't do that. Don't do that. What what, what your spouse is doing. What your boss is doing. What what your coach or your parents are doing. If if you find yourself frequently dissatisfied with lots of other people in your life, you see other people and and you just find a a spontaneous, creeping... (laughs) rising to the surface of your soul. Friend, please check your heart. Check your heart. Why? Because there are many times Israel grumbled and complained to Moses when what she really needed to do was look to the Lord and trust the Lord. There's there's a good chance that if you're in that space, You are looking to people to do what only Jesus can do. What do you need to see? You need to fix your eyes on the Savior who is better than the best of men. This has been quite a ride, Kingsway. Quite a ride, and it has been one amazing sight after another. Um, It's what the Spirit of God has done week after week. In Deuteronomy, it's a gift of grace to see the hand of God and the sorrow of sin, to to see the glory of heaven through the eye of faith, to see the the Savior who is better than the best of men. Apart from him, we've got no hope. Apart from him, we have no assurance of reaching the glory of heaven. Apart from him, It would make a lot of sense to read a book like Deuteronomy and have every reason to conclude, Lord, my feeble trust, my feeble obedience falls so far short of what you deserve. How how can I ever know the joy of living as your people in your place under your rule? In life and death, Jesus did what Israel never could, what Moses never did, and what you and I will inevitably fail to do. What's that? He kept God's law perfectly. His trust was unwavering. His obedience was spotless. He did all of that on your behalf, friend, because Jesus is the true Israel. And now, what is Jesus doing? He's inviting you, even this morning, into a relationship with himself where you find life in being ruled by a gracious God. Don't try to do better or be better. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus amid all the sorrow of sin. Christian, what must you do? Fix your eyes on the glory of heaven and the Savior who's going to bring you home. Let's ask for God's help to do that. Lord, we need you to turn our eyes, as only you can, fix them, we pray, on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is exceedingly better than the best of men. We ask for your help. Thank you for loving us through this book. Thank you for caring for us through this book. Thank you for convicting us through this book. We love the fact that in Deuteronomy, we got to see that you, our triune God, are indeed full of grace. We bless your name, Lord. Help us to keep seeing. Amen. Let's stand and sing.